0: Well, I don't know if you like uh, stupid uh, criminal stories. I kind of like stupid criminal stories. They're 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 pretty good stuff. And we had one actually uh, not too far away. It was down in Malala a couple weeks ago. Perhaps you saw the story, but so it turns out there was a there was a, a man and a woman. They were in a in a car in an alley and. And uh, I don't know, he had, you know, a a substance in a baggie that he was going to trade to the woman for cash, you know, if you get the idea what's going on there. But this was going on, and they were talking about this when he kind of sat down on his phone the wrong way, and his phone chose to dial, of all things, 911. (laughs) And uh, so... The dispatcher gives it the, uh, you know, hello, is 911, how can I help you, you know, and there's no response, but she can hear this conversation between a man and a woman, and she realizes this is a drug deal happening. And so she works the, the GPS magic, and she finds out that this car is located just a, a block away from the police station in an alley. <laughs> Are you taking notes? Uh, you don't need to know that. But anyway, uh, so... She she dispatches a patrol car and the officers approach the car and uh, they confront them there and the, there's a there's a man and a woman inside and but they say no we, we don't even have cell phones. So the, what the officer does is he speaks real loudly. Are you sure you don't have a cell phone? And the dispatcher says, yes, I can hear you. And they're busted. So he goes to jail and she gets a citation. Now Not the, not the stupidest stupid criminal story of all time, but, you know, a pretty good one. Uh, I'm not sure I would have really even remembered it very much, other than I happened to, to glance down at the comments, and I'm not, I'm not sure either who does this, but anyway, apparently some people get a log on for news stations and leave comments after news stories, I, I'm not sure exactly what the point is, but anyway, this one person that, at the top, they, they read this story hearing about what happened to this guy, and and he said, here was his comment about the, the news story, if I can find it here. Oh. Um, that's when you know god hates you <laughs> and uh... and then a, a woman posted after that because you you all are catching on that the only evil in the world today is hate so she's like gonna correct that and said well maybe not hates but he's really i'll say angry not her words but you know he's probably really angry at him and i thought isn't that fascinating that people jump to this conclusion that God's out to get them, Uh, something has gone, well, I don't know, did something really go wrong there? I mean, why couldn't we just as easily imagine a scenario like this? Let's say this was a woman who's never taken meth and she's purchasing her first dose of meth and, and now the cops arrive just before she gets hold of it, and she never takes that initial dose, which will forever alter her brain and put her on a path where she can't escape it the rest of her life. Couldn't we conclude that God is an amazingly powerful and gracious God to interject himself into her life and snatch her from the fire, so to speak? <laughs> Wouldn't it be fair to define it in, in that way? We're going to think today about uh, grace and truth, uh, not truth. Not all of truth, that's a big topic, but specifically God's truth and the parts, the bits and pieces that, that speak about us and the, the kind of harsher, uglier realities of what's inside, our sin and our shame and how far off the mark we fall from a, from a holy God, a pure God. We're going to think about God's truth, and we're going to think about God's grace. That is, he has a generous side that he is forgiving and he embraces us. Are truth and grace at odds with one another? Do, uh, do they pull in opposite directions? You know, it can't really be so simple, and yet isn't it true that sometimes we'll say things like, uh, well, just quickly, automatically, you know, we lose a job, we get in a car accident, we get sick, and we think, is God confronting me? Is he disciplined me? Is he is he punishing me? Is he out to get me? Does God hate me <laughs> today? And then the next day, you know, a surprise check in the mail, or we win a contest, or just the sun comes out, and we look, uh, wow, God is gracious. Isn't he so good, you know, yesterday? I don't know what happened, you know, he was good yesterday. What, what, what's the problem today, God? Because <laughs> I haven't been outside, but it doesn't look like yesterday. I can tell that much. You know, and it, it's not that is that really it? Because we say things like that. What's the relationship between truth and grace in God's character, in how we relate to him, in how we relate to others? It can be pretty messy to to look at the events of our life and try and figure out what does this mean about God and who he is? This, this uh, negative thing or this great thing that happened to me, what's the connection to God's character? How do I discern that? It can, it can be even tricky when we're ...when we're looking at uh, Jesus' life. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 7. We're going look at a, a, a familiar story today. Um, and if you, know, if you can read the really small print, it's in, it's in your notes, but I won't have it on the screen. It's a long story. But Luke chapter 7, if you can find that, and uh, beginning in verse 36, we find this story. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table... A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at a Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. So here's the backstory, story, and Luke kind of gives us the picture. And then at this point, now that Simon has concluded this in his, his mind, he turns to Simon and he backs up a big boatload of truth and dumps it on him. He, Jesus answered Simon, I have something to tell you, Simon. Tell me, teacher, Simon says. Oh, I never thought of that. Simon says. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You, Simon, did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. And you did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. So Simon gets some truth. He gets this story. He gets a principle put to him in a, in a little parable because there's something he has really failed to understand and to see or to admit. He gets an indictment of his failures. And these were fairly simple things. These were common things. Uh, How you offered hospitality in that era involved the washing of feet and a kiss of greeting and maybe an anointing of oil for your refreshment. And, And it was just courtesy. And Simon gets called to account for his failures. But the woman, on the other hand, she gets grace. Jesus brings a lot of grace. He says, "'Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, "'Your sins are forgiven.' The other guests began to say among themselves, "'Who is this who even forgives sins?' And Jesus said to the woman, "'Your faith has saved you. Go in peace.'" So while Simon got truth, Jesus or the the woman gets forgiveness and, and she is saved, and she gets to go out that day and into the rest of her life with the blessing from Jesus Himself of peace. Go in peace. Wouldn't you love to have Jesus tell you that? Just go ahead and go in peace. What awesome words. Especially if you think about the source. Go in peace. What a tremendous thing. And so she receives all this grace. Now, when we read this really quickly and we just think about Jesus responding to people in different ways, sometimes, I don't know, maybe you could be tempted to think it's some kind of like divine personality disorder. Like, I wonder which Jesus is going to show up today. Some people get the truth-speaking, confrontational Jesus, and some people get the warm, embracing, gracious Jesus. And I hope, you know, when I wake up today, I just wonder which one it'll be. Oh, it's raining. I guess God's mad. (laughs) You know, oh, the sun. Shining onto me, and all's well, and God's good to me today, and and you know it's like He can't make up His mind, or so we sometimes think. Now we go to to f- kind of funny places, not, not not a good kind of funny, some kind of awkward places when we kind of emphasize one of these over the other. For ex- for example, if we say you know God's the God of truth and grace, you know and. There's some grace. The God of truth. You know, we start off with something good. We, understanding that God's the God of truth, for example, with what we're talking about today, would give us the opportunity to understand what he said about us. That, that I'm a sinner, that I fall way short of his standards. Now, you see, if that's the reality, it's good for me to know that. Right? It would be kind of tragic for me to not know that. And so we start in a good place. But then, you know, as he's the God of truth, we think, okay, and then I get to spend eternity with him, the greatly disappointed God, you know, who never quite gets the frown off his face because he's just always thinking about the truth, the reality of what I've been, the sinner, right? So hope you enjoy heaven as you go off to spend forever with a disappointed God. The God of truth. But... You know, is that really it? You know, we, we, we emphasize that and then grace becomes, I think, theoretically in our minds, sort of a compensation that God had to reluctantly come up with a concession for us. He really just wanted to deal with truth the way things are and then we messed it up and the truth about us became so ugly and he's like, oh, hold on a minute, let me see if I can find anything else over here. You know, well, how about some grace? I guess we'll use grace. You know, like it's it, he's reluctant to be that. On the other hand, we can do that with grace. We can start there. That He's a God of grace and, you know, some truth, but hopefully he doesn't look too close. Like, uh, we start in a good place again with grace. I feel the wonder of God's love and acceptance, and that's good. But then we think, you know, but it's, it's grace and a little bit of truth. And hopefully he doesn't really look at truth anymore because I still have these lingering things. And, you know, Jesus, you don't really want to look at, keep looking at my motives. You don't want to keep looking at truth, do you? Can't we just stick with the grace side? So I believe it's a fallacy that grace and truth are somehow at odds with one another. See, I think for Jesus, they're inseparably linked. They, they come together, they're integrated. In the first chapter of John, John is giving us kind of a poetic theology. And he starts off calling Jesus the Word because Jesus uh, reveals most clearly what God is like to us. He's the, he's the truest picture of what God is like. And he is God. And so he says the word, as it were, Jesus, the word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace. And he came full of truth. Absolutely brimming over, flowing positively full of grace and absolutely full of truth. Not a lot of one and a little of the other. And and notice the, the end there. Now you might think, wow, you're making a big deal about a little word. I mean, it's just a, you know, grammatically, it's just a conjunction. We understand that the important words grammatically are the verbs and the imperatives, you know, the imperatives. And it's just a little, what are you doing? It's three letters. But you see, this is John's point. It's not just a a small word, he, he's making a point about grace and truth. They come together. He, he makes that clear a, a verse later as he goes on. He says, out of that fullness, that full grace and that full truth, we've, we've received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now he's kind of got a little play on words with the word grace here out of his fullness of truth and grace, we've received grace in place of grace. Now, that second grace is like really the word we might say would be gift. A gift already given. And what was that gift that was already given to people? Well, it was the law. It was truth. And that truth, uh, uh, Moses' law, revealed to us once and for all that we don't have a shot. Okay? If you're going to try and live by a system and, and be as pure or as holy as God, well, you just got no chance. It just it will never work for you to develop a system to be acceptable to God. It's not going to add up. And Paul says this, this was the great value of the law because, see, if that's the reality of things, again, we need to know that. You don't want to just go around doing something because you think you'll get points with God if it really doesn't get you anywhere. Well, that would be a shame. And so it's a gift to know the truth. But we get grace in place of that already given. And now Jesus brings to us, as opposed to Moses, who just delivered the truth, (laughs) which just really brings us to a place of despair. But Jesus now resolves that because he brings truth And the grace that can handle all the truth. All of the truth. Truth makes grace necessary. The truth about us, it made grace necessary. But that grace makes truth bearable. And they come together. So here's the the idea we're really trying to take home with us today. Our series is Life's Too Short. And life's too short to just want to pick one part of God. Truth. Or, or grace. We need all of Jesus' truth and grace, and we need them together, and we need to understand in him and in God's character, they, they work in concert together. Our series, you remember, uh, Bob started a couple of weeks ago talking about uh, that, that we, life's too short to be a designer Christian, where you just take bits and pieces of God. And really, this message is kind of a subset of that. Life's too short to just take the truth or the grace. You don't want to do that because that's not Reflective of really all that God is. So, you know, the question becomes are you even relating to the true God at that point? And, and, and so that, that came out of that, that the, the alternate there was to be a disciple. And that, of course, came from Matthew 28 says, Go and, and make a disciple. Be a disciple, first of all. Don't be a, a designer Christian who takes parts of God. Be a, a disciple of Christ. Take who he really is and all that he said. And then, and then make that others into disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded. You know, everything he, he taught, he commanded, but really everything he is as well. And so we don't want to be relating to only part of him or teach others only part of who he is. He is full of grace and truth. Now, what does that look like? What does it look like in Jesus, first of all, that he's full of grace and truth? It still is a little confusing sometimes when we see him interact with people. But even in the story that that we started with today, this beautiful story about this woman who comes to the dinner and, you know, is there and and Simon, we see that, that Simon received a lot of truth. He was confronted and he was called to the carpet, but there was tremendous grace infused into the truth that Jesus had for Simon. There was grace right along with the truth. Now, we don't see it, you know, uh, John or Luke doesn't unfold the story exactly chronologically. We kind of have to read the whole story, and then we kind of get a picture of what happened that evening. Jesus goes to his house, and he's not greeted properly. In fact, we don't know for sure, but it may very well be that Simon, a Pharisee, he was curious about Jesus, curious enough to get him into his house, but... Not wanting to be misconstrued in any way, shunning him at the same time, right? So, you know, no real greeting for you. Come in because I'm curious about you. I'd like to hear from you, but I don't want to be viewed as really embracing you either, right? So, this has happened. But notice, apparently, Jesus has not been offended. In fact, it looks like he's not even going to bring it up. He just overlooks it. It's it's like, it's what people do. He knows the truth, right? Jesus knows the truth about Simon. It's like, this is what people do. He's not offended. He brings it up when it becomes important for Simon to know. And Simon gets himself there by what he concludes about the woman. So Jesus is like, hey, Simon, here's some things you need to know about yourself. That's why he gets confronted. And so there's a tremendous graciousness in how Jesus handles him. There's, there's uh, Jesus not really wanting to, uh, to win a debate here. You get, the, you get the feeling that he tells him this story and he asks the question, and he's hoping, Simon, will get it right. It's not a trick like, I, I hope I'll catch you and then I'll be able to shame you. Remember how the Pharisees came to Jesus, asking him a hard question, hoping him to, to tip his hand in one way that they could be like, gotcha. Jesus isn't doing it. He hopes he'll get the answer right. He's not, he's not trying to uh, intellectually lord it over him, and certainly he could have. <laughs> you could have just, like, squashed him intellectually. And Jesus, of course, could with anyone. You take an astronomer, a philosopher, a scientist, a, a, a counselor, an atheist, he could do it any, any, to anyone. He could intellectually you know, lord it over them. He could just blow them out of the, put them in a debate with anyone. He could blow them away. That's the wisdom of God. But he, he he isn't doing that. What's he after with Simon? You see, I think he wants Simon to get it right. There's a graciousness in his manner towards Simon. And I think also, secondly, really important, Jesus is is. Relaying truth to him with a goal, and the goal is grace. He wants Simon to experience grace as well that 's why he 's giving him truth you know in the in the parable there that he tells him there 's the uh, the the person who 's been forgiven more loves more see and that 's the woman in the story, so in the parable, Simon is kind of the person who's been forgiven less and therefore loves less. But, of course, one of the tricks of the story is that the, the reality isn't that Simon has has had very little affection for Jesus because he had less to be forgiven. That, that would be the wrong point to take from it, right? The point would be, Simon, you see, if you could realize the truth about yourself, about how much you need to be forgiven, then you would be able to experience what this woman is experiencing. That's what I would really want for you. It would have been awesome if that happened. And so then you end up getting this story where Simon realizes that, receives grace, he has faith, and now they're fighting over the feet. You know, hey, woman, let me have one of those feet. <laughs> I want to cry on one. Give me one. You see, Jesus is, is gracious and he has a goal of grace. There was truth for Simon, but there was grace within it. And then for the woman, there was grace, but there was truth infused into that. Notice how he says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This wasn't some arbitrary graciousness. Jesus didn't show up and go, you know, I'm kind of feeling okay today. So let me pick a few contestants from the studio audience to receive some grace. All right. You and you and you, your sins are forgiven, the rest of you. Come back next week, we'll see how I feel. (laughs) This isn't arbitrary, like, oh, woman, don't cry, I feel sorry. You know, like, I'm so tired of Pharisees. They're so cold and heartless. I just love all your compassion. I feel bad for you. All right, you're forgiven. Was it because she just emoted a lot? No. Jesus is really clear. All that emotion, that's after she was forgiven. That's why it's coming out. This wasn't arbitrary. It wasn't because Simon was mean and she was weeping. He points out that she had accessed grace, forgiveness, through faith. Does that sound familiar? It should, because that is the very core and the essence of what we believe. That is the gospel. You will be saved by grace through faith. That's what she experienced. And Jesus like, this is it. Don't miss this. Her life. Don't miss what just happened. See? She embraced the truth about herself. Yes, she was a sinful woman and she embraced the truth Jesus would be saying about myself that I am in fact savior. I am capable of forgiving her sins. She had to experience that and was now expressing the overwhelming joy and thankfulness at his feet. Thank you that I could experience this. This was grace through faith. This was the gospel. Before he's even gone to the cross, this was the gospel. He's like, that's it. It wasn't arbitrary. He didn't just feel sorry for her. It was grace she received based on truth. Based on truth. And Jesus is full of grace and truth. We have to look carefully. We need to think carefully about who he is and how we read the stories of his life and understand all that's infused in there in God's character, not casually run over things. Now, that's Jesus. How about us? How about us? What does, what does it look like for us to, to embrace grace and truth kind of in an integrated way? Well, it's a big subject, but, but let's use this passage to uh, kind of Think about that with some concluding things today. Paul tells Timothy that he wants people to pray in 1 Timothy 2. And and then he says, here's the the purpose, the goal of why you would pray in this particular way. And you can go back and look at verse 1. But he says, I want you to pray in that way so that you can live a quiet and peaceful life with all reverence toward God and with proper conduct. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of God. Of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. So Paul has said, pray. Pray for this goal. It's to have a life where you could do two things. See if this sounds familiar. Where your life could be built on having reverence for God and proper conduct. Reverence for God, loving God, proper conduct, Primarily, loving people. Does that sound familiar? It it should sound familiar. The greatest commandment. How do you get life right? Love God, love people. And so you pray that the things in your life, that you would have access to be able to live out that kind of life. Now, prayer, of course, doesn't just originate with your own thoughts, or at least it needs to do more than that. God is interested in hearing about your heart and your mind, but prayer is a process. It's a communication process of aligning yourself with God's will, not just your own ideas. Aligning yourself with God's will. And here, so after he's talked about praying, he gives us a little insight. What is God's will? Well, here's a big picture. See, this is good. It pleases God because he wants all people to be saved. And to come to a knowledge of the truth. To be saved. Experience grace. To understand the truth. Which complements the grace. Which you you can't even embrace grace. Without understanding the truth of who you are. And your need for grace. Without understanding the truth of who Jesus is. As the source of grace. And so these are the things God wants for people. So. We're pursuing those things. And now we're going to try and relate to others. A few observations. First of all, grace. You're going to demonstrate some grace to people. That's a good thing. You should do that. But remember from what we've learned today what real grace is. Real grace accounts fully for the truth. Real grace doesn't have to uh, kind of look away from some parts of someone, from some kind of shameful part of someone, to embrace them. Real grace looks right at the truth and takes it on. Bring it on. Grace is like, I've got to have all the truth. If this is going to be real, I've got to know what's really there, right? That's really what grace is. God's grace. God's uh, grace today you know in our culture there's a really popular concept and we're told we should be pursuing tolerance tolerance i just think of god sitting back going really guys is how low can he shoot is that all you're going for so that you can go around and tolerate people and you'll know that some things aren't right and that's you don't like this over here and you, but you'll just kind of only partially look so you can tolerate. it. He's like, "Come on, can't we go aim higher than that?" Because I'm I'm going for the moon here. I want grace. I want people to have grace, not like, "Oh, you're kind of, Really, there's a lot there I don't want to see. But all right, you know what? No, real grace embraces the full truth and can deal with the full truth. Now that's grace. An observation about uh, relating to others around truth. Maybe you're dis- uh, disciplining a child. Maybe you need to confront a friend. Maybe you're just sharing good news, uh, the gospel, good news with someone. Uh, two things. First of all, when we, when we see Jesus and what he did with Simon, we said that he, he had a gracious manner about him. And that's something we're pretty familiar with. So anytime you're sharing truth with someone, when you're communicating with someone... You know, you understand, that should be done in a gracious manner. It should sound gracious, and we're familiar with that. You know, we could think of lots of verses we're familiar with speaking the truth in love and those kinds of things. But it's that second one, I think, that's really the interesting challenge. Remember, Jesus shared truth with Simon for the purpose of grace, that he might land in grace. Not that he could just know that he had failed, (laughs) He didn't just want to go, Hey, Simon, you left me, you know, you didn't treat me right. Now go feel bad. (laughs) It's not his purpose. He's aiming, he wants him to know the truth so that he can arrive at a place of experiencing grace. And we need to do the same as well. We need to speak graciously, but we need to be aiming people to experience grace, even though we're speaking truth. Now, the... uh, the uh, stupid criminal story I told you, uh, I, only, I only told you part of the comments. There was, uh, it, it, it was Channel 8. So it was, it was a, a news station, and uh, I don't know who writes their headlines. Hopefully it's not you, but um, they actually had put a headline on and it. And you know the person who writes headlines, you, you know that's basically in the... the sales department, the advertising. They're trying to get you to click on things. So here was the actual heading on the story. It was something to the effect of um, drug dealer, but dials 911. Right. So that, that was the heading. So then after the story, there was the whole comment, I guess that's when you know God hates you. You know, we already cleared up that part. It's not, it's not so simple. Um, God may have been disciplining the drug dealer, but it's not. you got to think more carefully than just thinking that. So we got that comment. That's when you know God hates you. And then there was a whole other thread uh, commentary started by a woman who, who said something to this effect. Now, the, the tone is just the, I'm sorry, it's just the way I hear it in my head. It may not have actually been that way in her head, but this is how I hear what she said. Um, if I can find it here. Oh, she says, now, why don't we all just agree to just say pocket dial. Okay, (laughs) right? Just say Pogadile. Now, I don't know if she is a Christian, but I instantly imagine that she might be, because this is something that, well, unfortunately, we're pretty good at, right? And and that is we try to pressure others by taking offense at things, right? Right? We, we look and we see the truth. Now, Here, the, the reality is, again, I'm not defending Channel 8 and I'm not defending our world. Our world is an offensive place, right? It's, <laughs> duh. Hopefully, that's the, the stupidest thing I've said all morning. You know, the, the world is an offensive place. Uh, but what we do... Oh, what was I saying? This might be a Christian... Um, so, oh, we look at that. And, and, and what we would like to do is kind of um, smooth over the rough edges, right? Because, you know, I, I, excuse me, Channel 8, I've got children here, you know? And I even debated this this morning. I apologize. If you're in your household, you're trying to work with certain language and not work with other language. But, but you see, we do this, and, and we, we try and clean up the rough edges in our culture by being offended, See, And here's the problem. There's absolutely no power in that, right? What did I conclude about the woman who posted about the story? She's an offended person, right? That's the impact it had. It's not going to change the news channel. It's not going to change anyone who read it. You know, it's not going to. It's just not going to have any impact because there's no power in our trying to clean people up on the surface a little bit of the time, a little rough edges by being offended. Here's what we will accomplish oh, they're the people who are offended, right? We need, when we speak truth, to be aimed at people experiencing grace. The truth should aim towards grace. Because when you put truth, the full truth, together with God's grace, what happens? There's power. That is the power in the world today. God's already told us, this is the power in the world. My grace is the power, and you have to understand the truth to embrace it. That is what transforms people, and then culture is transformed. We were not called to clean people up. We were not called to make people more polite or more civil. We were called to point people in the direction of transformation by the power of the grace and truth of God. Don't try and just clean them up. Aim high. Aim for grace. Even when you speak the truth. Especially when you're speaking the truth. Well... That's in us. We're going to have the the band um, come on out, and um, we're gonna we're gonna sing here. And I just was thinking about what I'd really most cherish for you to leave thinking today is uh, is about your relationship with God, to be thinking about the cross, and to re- be reminded once again that uh, the the gospel and the cross isn't about. Uh, you allowing god to, to look a little bit into your life to clean up the outside to have a little bit he's like no I, I will look straight in there at everything you've got because that's what my grace deals with and there's nothing my grace can't handle I want to clean the whole thing. And quite frankly, what we need to remember is either he cleans the whole thing or he doesn't clean anything at all. Sometimes we get in this emotional place where we try, we're, we're concerned, you know, that there's, there's something more, there's something left, that, you know, when I came to Christ, oh, God didn't know he'd have to deal with that. No, he knows. And he wants it all because that's what the gospel is about. We are broken people, but his grace is up to the task of that truth. Let's, go, let's sing together. We'll focus on that, and then we'll pray uh, before we go.